It's through faith only, not works, that God offers us salvation. That's what we learned last time on Through the Bible. Today, we continue that discussion in Paul's letter to the Church of Galatia. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus as we depart for another great study in God's Word. Now, while you find your seat, let's enjoy a couple of letters from listeners, this time from our Ukrainian programs. Ivan tells us, I am a constant listener of your programs. Although I have read the Bible on my own for many years, by listening to your program, I get deeper knowledge. I am a survivor of the Chernobyl disaster and have a whole bouquet of illnesses. One is that I am already blind in one eye, and the other is just a matter of time. Although it is increasingly hard to read, I am grateful to know I will always be able to hear your teaching and learn more about God's Word. And next we have Alessandra, who writes, I grew up in Soviet times, and my family listened to your programs whenever we were able to catch the frequency. My father raised his seven children as Christians. I still remember gathering around the radio to listen. Those were our family worship times. We sang with you and stood when there was a prayer in the program. Two years ago, my father became blind. Since he cannot read, he now waits for your program every day with joy and the expectation that you will read the Word of God for him. Thank you for being such an important part of our family for so many years. Aren't these encouraging letters? Well, if you'd like to join us as we praise God for Through the Bible's Ukrainian programs and then pray for these listeners and the millions of others who potentially could hear the program, why don't you sign up for our world prayer team at ttb.org forward slash pray. I'm sure you're going to be blessed. Now, all we ask from our World Prayer Team members is for you to pray, nothing else. So sign up with confidence knowing that the only thing that you'll receive from us is a daily email, that's Monday through Friday, with stories like these, and then prayer prompts on how you can join us as we take God's whole word to his whole world. Now, of course, you can receive our monthly ministry newsletter as well, but we won't send it unless you ask us. Now, if you want to find out more, call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. Let's pray and then dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. We pray that many more will realize that it's only through faith in you that we can be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open now to Galatians 1 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Our friends, we are back here today at verse 11. It's where we're going to put in. And we've come to a new section, but before I get into that, let me say that in that last section, Paul was stating the subject, and he did it in a very warm way, by the way. He stated that there was only one gospel, and to attempt to add to the gospel would be tantamount to giving another gospel, which would not be another gospel, because he makes it very clear that we are saved by faith plus nothing. That faith is actually not that which gives merit, but it is the means by which we lay hold of God's salvation in Christ, and it is Christ who saves us. Now, the gospel shuts out all works. It's to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, His faith is counted for righteousness, and that's not in Galatians, but Romans 4, 5. Now, the real difficulty today is not that people should be good enough to be saved. A great many folks say that. A man just the other day said to me, 
You know, McGee said, I want to become a Christian. I'm going to try to be a little better. And if I improve, I'm going to become a Christian. Well, I said, if you improve, you'll never become a Christian. You'll be kidding yourself because you're not going to improve. The thing is, therefore, not that problem. The problem is that people are not bad enough to be saved. And that's the reason church members that are unsaved are so hard to reach with the gospel, because they think they're good enough to be saved. And they're not good enough to be if they could only see themselves as they are. And the problem, therefore, is that we don't think we're bad enough to be saved. One man said to me, he's a neighbor. He said, you know, I've listened to you on the radio. He said, very frankly, what you say is good for the folk down on Skid Row, but he says it's not for me. Well, you see, he's not bad enough to be saved. He just hopes he'll be good enough. Now, the only class that God's saving are ungodly. The Lord Jesus said he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And the reason he said that was because there were none righteous, no, not one. And the law, therefore, must make us speechless before grace can begin. Then Paul put it again, not here but in Romans 3.19, we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world become guilty before God. The law is given to shut your mouth, friends, but it causes a lot of people to do a lot of yapping today about how good they are and they keep the law. Now, the gospel of law and grace has no power. It has no growth. It has no victory. Now, they were not denying, the Judaizers in that day did not deny that Jesus died and rose again even for sinners. What they denied was that that was adequate. They said that you have to keep the law plus that, plus trusting Christ. And when you mingle them, that's the thing that Paul is saying here, let anyone, even an angel from heaven, be a curse. Why? Because they perverted the gospel, they did not deny the facts of it. Now, by nature, the way we're all made, there's no exceptions to this. Man responds to legalism, and the preachers are popular that give that. Now, I listened the other night on TV to a local preacher in Southern California on radio who put on, to my judgment, one of the finest programs from a technical standpoint, from a professional standpoint. And he even talked about Jesus coming into the world. He talked about him dying. He talked about him being raised. But he never said anywhere in there that those that he was speaking to were sinners and that Jesus needed to die for them if they are to be saved and they're to trust him. No. I'll tell you what he talked about. He talked about commitment. Now, he said, all of you that want to commit your life to Christ. Well, friends, let's look at it. He doesn't want my old life. I haven't got anything to commit to him. He wants to do something through us today. Or oh, if we could only learn, God's not even asking you to live the Christian life. You can't live it. He's asking that he might live it through you. And Galatians is going to say that. But first of all, you have to come to him as a sinner to be saved. And friends, I don't want to be ugly. Well, when I say that, my wife says, why is it? When you always say you don't want to be ugly, you turn right around and you're ugly. Well, I'm sorry if I'm ugly, but you know that our churches are filled today with people 
that are not saved. And you know why? They've never come to Christ as a Savior. Oh, they feel like they got something to commit to him. You haven't got anything to commit to him, friends. He wants to commit something to you. He died for you. And he's on the giving end. He said the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it's just as simple as this. Have you accepted it? Have you received it? That is the important thing. Now, by nature, man responds to legalism. And he doesn't need a Savior. All he needs is a helper. That's all. My friend, we're going down for the third time. We need somebody to save us. Now, our conscience witnesses to the law. And legal conviction will lead to works. We tried to compensate for the fact that we're not doing enough and that we want to balance the budget and have on the plus side enough to be saved. Paul tried that. Paul had a whole lot on the plus side. But one day he came to Christ and he says, what was gained to me became loss. What was loss became gain. Now the Holy Spirit witnesses to grace today. And that's gospel conviction. And that leads to faith. Actually, the law denies the fall of man. And that's the position of Cain. Grace acknowledges the fall of man, and that was Abel in the offering that he brought to God. Now we come to a new section here, and it's personal. We had the introduction, the first ten verses. Now, from verse 11 in chapter 1 through verse 14 in the second chapter, why we have the personal side, and this is the authority of the apostle and the glory of the gospel. We have, first of all, the experience of Paul in Arabia. And that's in the remainder of this first chapter here. And here you have the experience of Paul in Arabia after he'd been on the Damascus Road. And here you have the origin of the gospel, then the conversion of the man. Then in chapter 2, from verses 1 through 10, you have the experience of Paul with the apostles in Jerusalem. You have there the oneness of the gospel, and you have here the communication of the gospel. Now, in chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, we have the experience of Paul in Antioch with Simon Peter, and there you see opposition to the gospel, and you see conviction concerning conduct there. Now, we're going to look at this personal section. Let me begin here now with verse 11. Listen to Paul. He says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Now, he's coming right back to what he's already said in the very first verse. He says, Here I certify you. That is, I remind you that after man, it should be according to man. I certify you, brethren, the gospel which was preached of me is not according to man. I didn't get it from them. Now, the Judaizers, you see, not only questioned Paul's message, but they questioned the man, that is, his apostleship. He was not one of the original twelve, they said. He's a sort of a Johnny-come-lately. And they cast a shed upon the validity of Paul's authority as an apostle. And so Paul is going to take up that little matter with them, by the way, and show them that his apostleship is an apostleship that rests very candidly 
upon the fact that he was called directly by revelation and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Will you listen to him now, verse 12? For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. In other words, he didn't get it by going to school. He didn't get it by being ordained, having hands put on his head. He says, but it was by the revelation. And that word is the apocalypsis. That's the word used in the book of Revelation. The gospel is a revelation as much as the book of Revelation is a revelation. It was an unveiling to the apostle Paul here by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He didn't become an apostle by coming through Peter, James, and John, but he's an apostle directly by being called of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Now ye have heard of my conversation, and that means my manner of life in times past in the Jews' religion. Now, he calls it now the Jews' religion. It was his one time, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Now, will you notice this? Paul was saved not in Judaism, not by Judaism, but from Judaism. That is what he's saying here. And believe me, he was a staunch supporter of that. Now, will you notice what we have here is a statement he makes that is tremendous. Verse 15, but when it pleased God, this is according to the will of God now, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, that is, Gentiles. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Listen to him. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Now, Paul says, I never got the gospel from anyone else. I got the gospel directly from Jesus Christ. Many years ago, there was an old modernist, and that, I think, was a misnomer to call those fellows modernists. There was nothing modern about what they gave. It was all old heresy. But he wrote a book. I heard him lecture, and he told about Paul, and he gave Paul credit for being a great brain. I personally think he had the greatest mind of any man that's ever lived. And a great many scholars who are better acquainted with Paul than I am also make that statement. Paul the apostle, he said, he was a brilliant student of the Mosaic system of Judaism. He was a brilliant student of Greek philosophy, and that Paul combined them, and he came up with Christianity. Now, Paul says here that he didn't get it that way. He said that he got it another way that he got it by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, will you notice what he says here, verse 18, "...then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days." And I suppose that that was the record that we have in Acts 9, chapter 26 to 29. It means he spent less than three years in the desert. 
It's been interesting how God has trained his man. He trained, you will recall, Moses out in the desert. He put Abraham in a rather unique place also. It's been God's method to put his man out on the desert to train him. Elijah had that same type of experience. David was trained out in the outdoors and the caves of the earth, running from Saul. Finally, he cried out. He was hunted like a partridge, said, It's open season on me all the time. And these men were trained of God. Now, the Lord used the same method with Paul, sent him out there, and he was there less than three years. Now, he said that he came to Jerusalem. He saw Peter, bowed with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now, that's all the contact he had with them. He got nothing from them, as we shall see. Now the things, verse 20, which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Now, will you listen very carefully? This liberal that I referred to, this old modernist, he said that Paul got his gospel by making a homogenized stew of Greek philosophy and the Mosaic system. Now, Paul says here, he didn't, and Paul says that he doesn't lie. Now, somebody's lied. Paul said he didn't. Now, I'm too polite to call that modernist a liar, but Paul did. Paul says that you say I got this gospel any other place. He says, I want you to know I do not lie. That means the other man did. So I'll have to just leave it like that because I'd be too polite to say that he was a liar. Paul says it in a very nice way. Now, verse 21. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face under the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Now, they were rather reluctant in Jerusalem to accept the Apostle Paul. I think without Barnabas, he would probably have waited a long time before the church in Jerusalem would have received him because he'd persecuted the church. And very candidly, these men knew what it was to be converted. They knew what it was, but to have an experience that was absolutely world-shaking, that would transform a man. But you know they couldn't believe that this man, Saul of Tarsus, could have been converted. That just seemed to them an improbability. In fact, it was impossibility that he could never have been converted. And so what we have here, well, Paul outlines here for us in this section his first years after conversion. And I don't think, friends, these were the happiest years of his life. I think that he tells us something about the failure during that period in his own personal life, and that's in the seventh of Romans. We've looked at this before, and at that time I suggested there were three periods in the life of the Apostle Paul. There was that period when he was a proud Pharisee, marvelous mind, an expert in the Mosaic law, and as many of his biographers have said, the world would have heard of Paul the Apostle if he'd never been an apostle. 
He'd even never been converted. He was an outstanding man. And I don't think there's any question about that, but he was a proud young Pharisee. He knew it all. He hated Christ. He hated the church. And he attempted to eliminate it, by the way, and he began this persecution. And then on the Damascus Road, he's knocked off a donkey down in the dust. This brilliant young Pharisee finds out that he doesn't know Jesus Christ, whom to know is life. And he became acquainted with him. And Paul immediately said, Lord, what will you have me to do? He thought he was dead. I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And when you persecute my church, you persecute me. And so this man here says that he went through that period. And then, after he had met Christ, there came the years in Arabia. There are these first years as he attempted to minister. And he said, what I wanted to do, I didn't do it. And he cries out, O wretched man that I am. Now, that's not an unsaved man that said that. That's Paul the apostle, who is actually in the first stages here of conversion. He's just been converted just a few years. And then there came that wonderful, glorious period when he walked by the Spirit of God, as he'll tell us in this epistle here. And that was the time that he could live for God. And, old friends, that is the place that many of us need to come today. There are a lot of unhappy Christians today. They're saved, I think. Dwight L. Moody put it in his quaint way. He said, some people have just enough religion to be miserable. And I think that's the picture of a great many today. Now we come to this second period, actually in the experience of Paul here, and that's his experience with the apostles in Jerusalem. I do wish we had more on this particular period. And you'll find out the oneness. Now, because there's a real question that arises at this point. And I'm sure that it's already arisen in your mind. And the question is this. If Paul received the gospel apart from the other apostles who were with the Lord Jesus three years, who saw the resurrected Christ, and who had this experience with him, the question is this. Is Paul and the other apostles, are they preaching the same gospel? That's pretty important right now. Because if Paul is not, something is radically wrong. And so we see next time Paul's experience as he goes up, actually, to Jerusalem. And now for the first time, he meets with them. And we'll see that Jerusalem approved Paul's gospel. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. The study's off to a great start. If you'd like to invite a friend to join you, you know it's not too late to catch up at ttb.org forward slash Galatians. And ttb.org is also where you're going to find Dr. McGee's notes and outlines for our study in Galatians. Or better yet, our digital book, Briefing the Bible. It's in PDF format on the website, and it's also available at Amazon in a Kindle format. Just look for Briefing the Bible. 
The website is also the place that you can download our new Bible Companion for Galatians. So if you haven't yet had the pleasure of using our Bible Companions as maybe a complement to your own study or in a small group environment, now's a great time. It's really a terrific tool that not only helps you stay on track with our studies, but takes you deeper as you begin to really think about what you're learning. Again, both Briefing the Bible and our Bible Companion for Galatians are available for free download in the PDF format at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find them. Now, as we break for the weekend, if you'd like to continue your study of God's Word in Galatians, please join me for the Sunday Sermon. This week, Dr. McGee's message, Why the Gospel is Not Preached Today, is from Galatians 1. If you want to listen online or see if your station carries the Sunday Sermon, just visit ttb.org. Now, of course, you know that we love your letters and your emails, and you can always write to us by email by writing to BibleBus at ttb.org. If you want to write that letter, send it to Through the Bible, Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or email BibleBus at ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and for all of us here at Through the Bible, we're praising God that He keeps us by His grace and truth until we meet again. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.